Tonight, if you would open them up to the book of First Timothy, chapter two. We're going to finish up chapter two this evening, verses nine through fifteen. The title of tonight's message is God's Plan for Women in the Church. Man, have I been waiting for this one. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go easy, I know. <clears throat> so you, you, uh, you men want to pay close attention. <laughs> Keep an eye on these women. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our time. Can't hear us? Oh, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2, and we'll start in verse 9 here in just a minute. Let me pray once again. Father, we thank you again for your word and how practical your word is, Lord. It, it really does give us instruction on how to conduct our lives, how to conduct our families, how to conduct our church, Lord, and Father, you've left nothing uh, undone. You've given us good, good communication in your word, good instruction, good doctrine, Lord. Help us tonight just to see it, Lord, and to walk in it practically, that our lives might be pleasing to you, that we might bear the fruit that, that you've called us to bear, Lord, in this, in this day that we live in. We thank you again, Lord, and ask your blessing now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you know, we are studying this book of 1 Timothy, which is Paul's letter to Timothy. It's personal letter to Timothy. He was left there at the church in Ephesus to pastor and kind of set some things in order in the church. So we find Paul giving Timothy very specific instruction on a variety of different matters and things that he wants Timothy to take care of there. And we're so grateful to have these books that Paul wrote to, the, to Timothy and also to Titus. These are the pastoral epistles because he gets into a more, much more personal instruction and gives us some specifics and guidelines on what we should be doing in the church and what roles are for parents, for children, for husbands, wives, men and women in the church. So tonight we find ourselves looking very practically at what the Word of God teaches concerning women in the church. And he gives some practical instruction and also addresses just some matters of the heart, issues of the heart. We want to look at that tonight. We, we finished up last week. You remember the first eight verses, the, the Apostle Paul really talks about prayer and instructing the various types of prayer and who we should be praying for. And there in verse 8, he really, he really gives prayer, the leadership of prayer, at least congregational prayer, to men. I desire, therefore, that the men pray everywhere. And then in verse 9, so a lot of what we've read there so far in prayer, Paul is wanting the men to step out and be leaders in congregational prayer. But now he's going to address some specific things concerning the women. And he says in verse 9, in like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. So the Apostle Paul begins to, just as he's specifically addressed men and their role in leadership, and men, I want you guys praying. I want you being the prayer leaders in the church in like manner. I want also, he says, in the same way that I've instructed men, I want also now to instruct women 
And we have to remember that this is not just the Apostle Paul's idea of how women ought to conduct themselves in the church, but really this is God's word to women in the church. So the Apostle, he was the Apostle, he spoke with the authority of the Lord. And that's why we call these, these writings the Word of God. This is, this, men wrote these letters, men wrote these epistles, but they were inspired by God. The Holy Spirit gave them these thoughts and ideas to write. So we look at this really as, in, at least in the Christian community, we look at these things as the final authority. This is not open for debate amidst, amidst culture. And so when we look at some of these things, and I just have to be honest with you, this is just one place where we'll find the Word of God not necessarily fitting real well into the culture of the day, not necessarily politically correct for today. And it's just one place. There's other places. We'll see in Romans, not too long in our study in Romans, Paul begins to talk about homosexuality, and that certainly isn't going to fit the culture or mind of today's culture. So you're going to have to come to grips with the fact that God's Word is timeless. It is eternal. It is relevant in every culture. It's not written to be trendy. This is not written with the idea that, well, that's, that was then. Let's reinterpret these things to, allow, you know, to kind of make them applicable today. We need to make them relevant to today. We need to understand the meaning of the, of the Scriptures, even though they were written so long ago. But the principles and the truths that they, con- that they convey are still the directives from Almighty God for us today. God doesn't change His mind concerning these things with the waves of culture. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that we have something solid to build our lives on, something that is eternal from heaven? I'm so glad that I don't have to find out from you know the, the, the trend of, the, of my current generation what, where truth is and how should I live and conduct my life. That would be so such slippery slope to, to build upon. But God's word is solid. And you know, we call ourselves Calvary solid ground. And that's the whole essence of that idea, solid ground. We're, we want to build our lives on something more stable than the opinions of men, because they change. How, do, how many of you know that what was you know politically correct twenty years ago is not politically correct today? Things have changed. Seasons change. People's minds change and and cultures change. And and this has happened throughout history. Ideas have come and gone in and out of fashion throughout uh, our, you know, not just our culture, but throughout history. God's word is timeless. And here's what we're going to find here tonight, that God does have some specific roles in mind for men and women. If you haven't noticed, God has created men and women differently. There are differences in men and women, not just physically, but even emotionally and some of the way that men and women think and process. We're, we're different. And although God is not in, not, has not created one inferior to another, we are equal in the Lord, but there are different roles. God has a different idea for each one of us. And we have to submit and yield our heart to that. It's not a, it's not a burden to obey the Lord. It's a blessing because God has designed things to be to be beautiful. God has designed things to be perfect. God, when we follow God's instruction, it's kind of like the owner's manual. When you, when you finally work the equipment the way it was designed to operate in the home, in the church, in our you know, culture, that's when things work best. It's blessing. God's not looking to, to create inequality, but rather blessing and mutual equality in the church. But he has given 
a variety of different roles to different people, and we want to look a little bit tonight at some of the things he says to specifically about women. Well, first of all, he talks about appearance. He talks about how women would dress in the church. Isn't it interesting that uh, 2,000 years ago, women were concerned about how they dressed, and things haven't changed. That, that seems to go through with every culture, right? Women are uh, very particular about clothing and, and uh, how they look, and Paul gives some practical instruction here. First of all, he says in verse 9, in like manner also that the women adorn themselves. This word adorn, it comes from the Greek word cosmeo, where we get the English word cosmetic. And it means to arrange, to put in order, to make ready. So the Apostle Paul says, women, you need to arrange, put in order, and make yourselves ready to come to church. Remember our context here. Paul is giving instruction on, wh- on how things ought to happen within the church. So we're talking about when we come together in a congregational setting, when we come together to fellowship, women, adorn yourselves. Take care, prepare, make yourselves ready to come to church. So it's not that he would say, hey, don't give any thought to how you... But no, rather he would give, be, give careful thought as to how you might come to pre- prepared to worship the Lord. Women are to prepare and make ready themselves with care when, we, when they come to public worship. Now, he talks about, very specifically, modest apparel. I think you know what that means, but I'll give you some, some ideas on it just so you to fill it in for you. Modest apparel would be apparel that would not be distracting, nor would contribute to any lust within those that might see you, those men that might be in the church. It's very practical here. Now, Paul is not saying, women, you need to dress in, you know, ragged clothes, really, you know, out of style, out of fashion clothing. That's not what he's saying here. In fact, in Proverbs 31.22, it says she makes tapestry, talking about the, uh, a, a virtuous woman, she makes tapestry for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. So the Word of God does not discourage nice clothing for women. We're talking more about the, the style of that clothing, that it would be modest, that it would not be distracting. What's distracting? Well, I'll put, the, you know, I'll put this in terms of... Um, let's, let's use, I'll use myself as an example. I just recently got a haircut. And, you know, I tried to get it... Some of you are just like, man, you need a new barber. <laughs> I tried to get it cut in a way that would be, you know, not, not date me too much. Try to, kind of young, a little, it's kind of a messed up. I try to spike it a little. But, you know, I'm trying to look somewhat, you know, like I'm uh, in the style. My, my kids don't think I'm anywhere near where I need to be. It needs to be, needs to be all messy. But uh, my haircut is what I would say fairly generic. It's not distracting to anybody. Suppose I came in tonight with a spiked mohawk. Well, that would be a little distracting, don't you think, Pastor? That I don't know if that's an appropriate hairstyle for you. Uh, now, it's not that it's not that you know there would be anything wrong with it necessarily, because certainly, what's in my heart is not how I wear my hair, right? That, my, how I wear my hair is not really an indication of how whether I love God or not. 
But there's just some practical things. I wouldn't wear a spiked mohawk. I wouldn't shave the sides of my head. And, you know, now I see that out some, you know, and, and it seems to be appropriate in our culture sometimes. But that's just making a statement. It would be distracting. So in a similar way, women, you can dress in a way that is both fashionable and, you know, comfortable and appropriate and stylish, but not distracting, not drawing, trying to draw too much attention to yourself in an inappropriate way. So Paul gives this practical instruction. Modest also has to do with um, how much you are revealing. In today's culture, we have very unmodest dress. And we see young girls that are dressing in not enough clothing. And I know that some would say, well, you know, that's the style. What are you going to do? You're going to have to find a way to be stylish and still not cause, you know, soliciting some kind of a lustful look from men. And the truth is, you know, men are stimulated visually. This is just a reality. And women, you know this, and women do know exactly how to draw that kind of attention with their clothing, with their hairstyle, with the way that they dress. And they also know how to dress nicely. You don't want to be, I'm not suggesting that you look poorly, but not drawing that type of attention to you. Very practical here. Paul gets right down to it, and I want to get down to it as well. So when we come together in church, even when we come together in casual settings, whether it be picnics or, um, you know, different events, women, you need to be mindful. Adorn yourself. Take care. Make yourselves ready. Prepare yourself to be with the body of Christ. Be mindful of how you are dressing. Make sure that it is modest. He also even talks there in the latter part of verse 9 concerning hair, jewelry, and clothing. Now, the Word of God does not forbid uh, these things. In fact, the Song of Solomon uh, speaks about your cheeks are lovely. Song of Solomon 1, verse 10 through 11, your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with chains of gold. We will make you ornaments of gold with studs of silver. So the, the idea here is that these, it's not that these things are forbidden, I think that Paul is trying to get into uh, an attitude of the heart that you would not use any of these things to try and either distract, draw inappropriate attention to yourself, show off, compete. I mean, I, mean, I know that some you know, women can, even, it can be even competitive in the way that women dress sometimes. And it's, it's a, you know, she's wearing that, I need to be wearing this. And, and, and there's this whole competitiveness that gets involved in women. Now, you know, men don't struggle with that so much. We're very competitive, but not so much on dress. We're, we're, more, uh, we're focused on other things. But I know that women uh, are competitive by nature as well. And so Paul is saying, guys, don't, don't make the outward show uh, with, of your jewelry and clothing and hair and so forth. Don't make that your priority. I'll read a, a quote here from a commentary. I like the way this, this gentleman put it. Paul's intent is not to forbid certain kinds of hairdos as if some uh, reflected a more worshipful attitude than others. He is confronting any gaudy, ostentatious hairdo that would distract attention from the Lord and the purposes that are holy. Women in that culture that Paul was writing to, they often wove gold, pearls, or other jewelry through their hairdos to call attention to themselves and their wealth or their beauty. 
You see, Ephesus was a wealthy commercial city, and some women there competed against each other for attention and popularity. In that day, expensive hairdos arrayed with costly jewelry were an accepted way to get to the top socially. And Paul is admonishing the Christian women to major on the inner person, the true beauty that only Christ can give. He did not forbid the use of nice clothing or ornaments. He urged balance and propriety with the emphasis on modesty and holy character. It's as though Paul is saying, ladies, don't flaunt your clothing, your hair, your style. Don't, don't overdo it. Dress appropriately. He, he speaks not only on, about the appearance, but I think he talks even a little deeper. Look in the middle of verse 9. He even talks something about the attitude. That, you, that your apparel with propriety and moderation. Propriety means appropriate, sensible. Remember that you're coming to church. Remember you're coming to worship the Lord. You're not going out to a ball. You're not going out on the town to dance. You're, not, you're, you're coming to church to worship the Lord. Now, by the way, we don't have any kind of problem here. So I know I'm not speaking. I'm not trying to correct anybody tonight. But it's good to lay these things down because this, you know, these are the types of things that we may face in time. And it, it will become the role, really. Uh, the Bible talks about older women, women teaching the younger women. Those that, that know what's appropriate, you may have to, hey, sweetheart, that's not quite appropriate for you in church. Certainly don't want to have to have the pastor policing this and, and, and checking all this out. Women have to kind of help. Uh, govern women. And so these are good principles for us to learn and study. And they're right here in the Word. So we want to take our time to do it. Appropriate. That's, the I think, the right word. Propriety. Do what's appropriate. Come to worship. Not to come, not, don't come to draw attention. Don't come to compete. You know, I had a call. This was about six or eight months ago. Somebody called and uh, interested in knowing information about the church. It was a woman. And uh, I spent about, I don't know, five, ten minutes with her on the phone. She was asking about the church. Well, how long have you guys been there? Well, we're just getting started. Oh, wow, it's so wonderful. I, you know, I'm familiar with the Calvary ministry. I'm so glad that there's a Calvary coming up into the Monrovia area. Yeah, well, we're excited about it too. Oh, that's so great. By the way, do you have anything going for singles? I said, well, I mean, there's only, at this time there was only about 15 or 20 of us. I said, well... Um, no, we don't really have anything set out just for singles. We're just, we're just happy when we have, you know, singles and couples. We're just, we're all together. We don't want to start separating. <laughs> and, um, oh, wow, well, I just think that's such an important ministry. I said, well, I, I know that it is, but you have to understand where we are in our setting, that's just not something that we're ready to make a priority. We're just trying to get a, get a work started, and we're just here to teach God's Word, and learn to, you know, love one another, reach out to the community, and, okay, well, thank you so much, Pastor. Well, we never saw her. Now, that, I don't know how she dresses at church, but I, I do know that something in her mind, she was looking for something in church that, that I'm going to say is, is not the highest uh, priority for us to come to church. It doesn't mean that you won't meet someone in church. And it doesn't mean that you shouldn't. And we hope that God will bring singles together and that you would find someone in the church. I pray that God will bless that way. But that's not why we're, that's not why we're here. We're not looking for, you know, a mate. We're not, this isn't like a club where we're coming and checking one another out, right? 
So that whole attitude isn't appropriate for the church. And, that's, and I think Paul is saying some of that even here as he talks about, you know what, dress appropriately. Don't, don't come um, for, for any ulterior motive and don't dress in such a way that would display that. Another word here that he uses is the word moderation. You know, and this is such a very good word for so many things in the Christian life. You know, there, there are some things that are really fine for us to do and participate in. But this word moderation has to be exercised. I like sports. You know, most guys do. A lot of guys do. And I love sports. And, you know, you can, if you want to, guys, you know this, you can watch. There's something on TV. There's a sporting event on TV that you can be watching 24-7, whether it's soccer or Right now we're into hockey. The Ducks are playing right now. We're into hockey. We got, we got, you know, there's so many different things going on. But you know what? I, I can't, again, this, this word moderation, there's nothing wrong with enjoying a sporting event. There's nothing wrong with watching a ball game. There's nothing wrong with us playing volleyball out there. But moderation, right? I can get so caught up in it and so focused on it where I just become a sports junkie. And I'm just, you know, and I use that as an example. But in, in all things, women too, dress. I mean, women, fashion's important to women. You know, I, I know that when we were in India, what a difference. The, in India, the men and the women, they sit on different sides. And the, we met in this big tent, and even in the church buildings, the men and women tend to sit on different sides. It's just part of their culture, not, not, not a church regulation, but this is just kind of the Indian culture. And what a difference. I mean, when the women... All these beautiful, bright colors and the saris there. And then the men, they're just kind of drab, you know, dressed, not much, not much color. So women, I, it just, I know that women uh, appreciate uh, fashion. They like clothing. They like to, you know, different styles, and they like to look nice. They like to do their hair. And I think that's fine. I think that God is, has made women in this way. That's part of what I believe is inherent in the heart of women. So Paul is not discouraging that, but again, the word moderation, right? That can become, it can become a real obsession, can't it? You can have a closet full of clothes and think you have nothing to wear, right? <laughs> Anybody ever hear that? <laughs> I have nothing to wear. <laughs> it can become obsessive. So moderation is, the, I think, a word that just, it talks about discretion. It talks about um, you know, don't, don't get caught up in that. Paul is trying to say, look, what's going on in your heart is what's most important. It's the, it's the inner person that needs to be tended to. Yes, take time to, to manage your appearance and to look nice and to dress nice, but not to the neglect of the inner person. That's where we need to be doing most of the work. That's where we need to be putting most of the focus is on that inner person of the heart. Moderation. You can be modern, but modest. You can be stylish, but still appropriate. Sensitive to fashion, but not extreme and worldly. Balanced. Self-control. These are the words that come to mind when we think of moderation. Well, Paul also talks concerning the testimony of women in the church. Let's look together in verse 10, which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. How you dress, there's a proper way for women who are professing 
godliness. That means they are saying, I am a Christian. I profess to be godlike. I pro- profess to be someone who reverences God. And Paul is saying, if, if that is your profess- profession, then it also should be your walk and your conduct. Your conduct needs to match your confession. And it should be not only that which you profess, but it should be accompanied there in verse 10 with good works. Christian service is important, not just outward appearance. I'll read this passage to you. I've already kind of mentioned this in, in principle. Let me give you the scripture reference for this, women. First Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. Peter explains it this way. Don't just merely adorn yourself outwardly, but also that hidden person of the heart because that, that beauty is, incor- is incorruptible. You know, clothing, moth will destroy some of your clothing. It goes out of fashion. It, it goes out of style. It, sometimes our, our shape changes and it doesn't even, I've got a whole bunch of clothes that don't fit me anymore. But what we do, the work that we do on the inside, this is incorruptible. These, these things last forever. As you, as you allow the Lord to make you beautiful within, that's a beauty that sustains and never changes. It's a, it's a, it's a change of character. You become a new person. And that's what God is interested in. God wants to work and make you beautiful on the inside. And that's so much better. Isn't that? I mean, that's so... It's, it's, it's in, it, it can't be lost. It can't be stolen. It doesn't, it, it doesn't cost... You don't have to go out and be trendy. It, it, it's something that God creates on the inside. A beautiful person within. And that's what God is interested in doing in the hearts, not only of women, but all of us. He's interested in working on the in, inward man. Also, he talks about women's role. And let's go back there and look at verse 11 through 15, the role of women. Now, I need to say something here. We'll see how far we get tonight, but hopefully we can finish this. Um, God has made things with a certain order. And this this is not just amongst men and women. This is throughout all of his creation, whether it's government God raises up some in authority. Whether it's in churches, God raises up leadership. And there are some who lead and there are some who need to submit and yield to leadership. If it's in the home, God has a certain order in the home. Children are not supposed to run the household, right? Parents are supposed to run the household. That's God's order. That's the way God has fashioned it. Now, sometimes there's this power struggle in our homes for that, right? But that's God, God's order is to be maintained. And so it is with men and women. God has a, a set order. And it's not about equality, okay? And that's what our culture has tried to turn it into, that somehow women in a biblical role is somehow inferior and somehow they, they, they need to fight for their rights of equality, but, you know, children are not inferior in, the, in a family. In fact, they're precious in, the, in a family. But that doesn't mean they get the rule of the home, right? There's still order that must be maintained. God looks to make things orderly. 
We are equal spiritually. Let me quote you Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. What Paul is saying, look, Jew nor Greek, race makes no difference. Slave nor free, your social status, your money, you know, what your position or job is makes no difference. Male nor female makes no difference. You are all one in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ, you are precious and of equal value to God. So that principle is established. But there are different roles that we play in the church, in the home, in society. Paul wants to talk about that now here with, for, for the women. There are differing roles. We don't have time to look at it. I'll just add, if you want to look at this a little more deeply, you can look at this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 12, pretty much through the end of the chapter. That's where Paul talks about all of us are one body, but each member has a different function, right? Not everybody is a hand, right? The body is made up of arms and legs, and each part has a different role, but each part is valuable and precious to the body, right? Without the ears, well, the eyes would not have any way to hear, right? So we, we complement one another, and so it is with men and women in the church as well. Let's take a look here. Let a woman, verse 11, let a woman learn in silence with all submission, and I do not p- permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man but to be in silence. Paul's instruction here is that men are to be the spiritual leaders within the church. Women may teach. It, it says in a passage, other passages of Scripture that women are to teach the younger women. Timothy himself, Paul says, you were taught by your mother and grandmother, so clearly women also teach their children in the home. Apollos, the uh, the great teacher uh, who uh, was a great minister of God's word, he was taught by Priscilla and Aquila, husband and wife team. Both the wife and husband taught and ministered to Apollos in a private setting. What Paul, again, remember our context here. This is within the context of the church. In the church, God has raised up men to be the lead teachers in the church. Men are supposed to be spiritually teaching the church. That's why we don't have, for example, in the Calvaries anyway, we don't have women pastors because we, 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 we look to this scripture and we say that in, in the word of God, it, it seems clear that God does not want women to be, te- be the lead teachers in a congregational setting over men. They are rather to be taught. They are rather to learn. They have teaching ministry with women, with children, in their home. They can even teach men in a in a non-congregational setting, there may be an opportunity for women to instruct men spiritually, that are more, women that are more mature in the things of the Lord. I'm thinking of a husband and a wife. What if the wife has been a Christian for 15, 20 years and the husband finally comes to the Lord? Is the husband going to be able to teach the wife spiritually? Probably not. The wife is going to have a lot more to offer the husband and will be able to teach her husband many things out of the Word, Correct. She may be the very one who led him to the Lord. But what Paul is saying in the church, God raises men up to lead. None of, the, none of the passages in the Scripture, none of the Bible has been written by a woman. All God, Amazingly, God chose men 
to write the Word of God. And as we, we will study here, when Paul talks about raising up of overseers, pastors, it's all he's referring to men. Now, this is what we see in God's Word. There's a lot of oh, people trying to twist the interpretation on this because churches want to be more modern. They want to give place to what is appropriate in the culture. They want to be politically correct. And we want to let women come and be pastors. And we want to even let and raise up and ordain homosexual pastors, which God clearly says homosexuality is an abomination. So when you hear some of these things, because we live in this culture, this is why I want to caution you, oh, it almost sounds offensive, doesn't it? It almost sounds like, oh, that's, that sounds so chauvinistic. Paul must have been, you know, real. That must have been for his culture. But this is God's Word. This is not about culture. This is about God's ordained roles for men and women. And in the leadership of the church, God has given this spiritual leadership, this role of teaching, He's given to men. And so He says clearly here, women, you need to be willing to submit under that teaching and learn. Uh, and to do it with all submission. That is with a good attitude, a good spirit. Amen. I, I'm more than willing to allow men to teach. And we want men to be raised up. And we want to see men leading the life of the church. So women may teach, but not in the congregational setting. Christian men should be the spiritual leaders in the church. He also goes on in verse 13, and he points this out. He kind of enforce, reinforces his principle here. And he gives the illustration, even from creation, even by design, this is the way God has intended things. Look at verse 13. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. So by design, man was created first. This was, now some people say, well, you know, um, after, women are, are subjected to man because of, of the fall and because of sin, but but this is before sin. God created man and woman before there was a fall, before there was any sin. When it was perfect, God created man first. And so there's, there's God, Paul is saying, look, God's saying something there. Man was created first. Man was created to lead. To lead. In fact, Genesis 2.18, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. So women were created after man, and they were created to be helpmates to men. So Paul is saying, look, God created man first. It's God's design, God's order that men would be the leaders in congregations and in church. He also talks about the fall in verse 14. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Now, here's what, he's, here's what I believe he's saying. God created Adam and Eve, and Adam was to be the, the, the leader in the relationship. Adam was to be kind of the protection and the covering over the woman. This is God's created order. What happened at the fall? Eve got out from under that protection, didn't she? And she started direct, make, making decisions without any... She didn't check with the husband. She, didn't, she was out making a decision on her own, and she was deceived. The Bible points out that the woman was deceived. Adam wasn't deceived. He still did the wrong thing, and he ultimately was responsible for his actions. But he, it wasn't because he was deceived. He knew he was disobeying God, and he did it anyway. So in one sense, that's almost worse. But the woman was actually deceived by the serpent and sinned out of that, in that deception. But here's what happened. When Eve stepped out 
from under the protection and leadership of Adam, look what happened. Also, Adam, he violated his leadership role when he followed Eve. So right here at the beginning, God creates this sense of order, sense of role, and when, when, when they mess that up, what happens? They mess up. Eve got out from under that place of being protected by her husband and made a decision out there on her own, deceived. Adam, instead of being the leader when he came and she said, hey, let's do this, he should have said, absolutely not. God has forbidden this. He should have asserted leadership. Instead, okay, honey, <laughs> sounds like a good idea. He yielded and allowed her to lead that, that decision. So what Paul is saying, when, when men and women get out from their ordained roles that God has made for them, one to lead, one to, to yield, then we have even God's created uh, plan can be distorted. And in this case, the fall and sin, the whole race fell. Adam violated his leadership role and followed Eve. All right, but look at verse 15. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. It says, nevertheless, she will be saved. I like the New American Standard translation of this verse a little better. Let me read it to you. But women will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. talks about childbearing. What's he saying? Is he saying, well, that, then, that women are going to be saved because they bear children? Well, that doesn't make any sense, right? We know that Paul taught that salvation comes by faith alone, right? Not by childbearing. Men, what, 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 where, you know, how are we going to get saved? So that's not what Paul is saying. And in fact, there's other places in the Scripture where Paul suggests in 1 Corinthians that, it, you know, God willing, it would be better for you just to stay single and serve the Lord with, you know, out any distraction of being married. So Paul clearly isn't saying now, you know, changed his mind, oh, women are going to be saved by bearing children. That's not what he's saying at all. I, think, I believe what he's saying, he's talking on a, on, a, on a general state, and he's saying, listen, even though sin was introduced through the woman who was deceived, Adam followed and fell as well, God still has preserved the role of women. God has still rescued the role of women in that they continue, they are the child bearers. So they still have a very valuable place in God's order. And in fact, even though sin came, was introduced by the woman, man ultimately the one responsible for the fall. In fact, when we study passages about the fall, it's always Adam, right? The sin that, we, that Adam made. And you look at, we'll see that in the book of Romans. Sin is always... That original sin is always traced back to Adam. He was the responsible party. He was the leader on the scene when it happened. But what, what's, what we're talking about here is even though sin entered through the woman and the deception of the woman, so the Savior also came through a woman, didn't it? Didn't he? Jesus was born of a woman. So he, Jesus, has, Jesus received his humanity through the woman. God, the Holy Spirit is the one that provided you know, the seed, but Mary is the one who bore the child. So I believe what Paul is saying, look, 
don't get discouraged, ladies, just because, you know, oh gosh, you don't have to have this big cloud of guilt over you. Oh, women, man, we're the ones that blew it. We're the ones that got deceived. No, God said, no, no, God has preserved you. God has not cast women off because of this, this failure in the garden. God has, and they will be preserved. They still hold great value in God's plan and in God's eternal kingdom and what God is doing in the earth because God has still given them this blessing of bearing children. And you know and I know that there's something about mothers that is special and very intimate in the life of children. And all of us have a tender spot for mothers, our mothers, and everyone has a mother, right? So what Paul is saying is not that you're going to be saved only if you bear children. No, not everyone gets married. Not everyone can bear children. He's talking in a, I believe, in a general sense, in relationship to the fall, which is what he was just talking about, women are preserved and retain great value in God's kingdom. Jesus was born of a woman, and women continue to have a great role in the home. They raise godly children. Women have a special place of intimacy with their children, and he encourages them to continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. These are the traits that he encourages to be uh, present in godly women. So we will conclude our study there. That finishes up chapter 2. It's kind of a difficult passage. And I I just have to tell you that as we look at places, and you're going to find this as we go verse by verse, these, these topics come up. We're going to come across these politically incorrect views that the Bible seems to present. And you're going to have to make a decision. Women tonight, you're going to have to make a decision. Men, we'll have to, there's decisions we have to make. You, you have to make a decision. How am I going to live my life? Under what authority you know, what's going to be the final say? Am I going to listen to the, you know, to the culture? Am I going to listen to, you know, entertainment tonight to find out, you know, how I should be living my life? I'm going to look to the celebrities and how they're doing it. Is that how? Is that the pattern we're going to follow? Or are we going to look to God's word and trust that, regardless of what the culture says, regardless of how? Oh, old-fashioned it may sound, regardless of even the, you know, the, the ridicule that it may bring. You know, it's amazing. I'm, I'm, I'm closing. We have, uh, you know, we're raising four kids. We're not done. Uh, we're still raising them. <laughs> but uh, I can remember uh, when, when they were younger and, you know, you have in-laws and everybody's got an opinion on how you ra- ought to raise your kids, you know. And, uh, oh, I can, you know, we, we just, this is the way we're going to try and raise them. We're going to try and raise them by the Word of God. Well, we had, you know, I won't mention any names tonight. But we had in-laws that just thought that was so crazy. So, you are so, oh, my God, you, what are you doing? You know, you, uh, and, well, now the kids are growing up, you know. And guess what? God's, our kids are turning out okay, by the grace of God. And God's, you know, blessing. And, well, we have some other nephews and nieces that are having problems and all of a sudden some of those same in-laws who thought the way we, what we were doing was so uh, taboo now it's like will you come and talk to my kid <laughs> do 
do you think our kid can come and spend some time with you? Do you, you know, what do you got? All of a sudden, and, and even, you know, grandparents, oh, you need to send them to Richard and Tony. He needs to go live with Richard and Tony for a while. I'll straighten them out. <laughs> you know, we're not, we're not ready for that. But, uh, and nobody's, you know, the kid's not wanting to come. But it, what I'm saying is that, you know what? And there's, how many, how many ideas are there about how we ought to raise our children out in the culture today? So the pop psychology is just, you know, all kinds of ideas. But you know what? We, we just, we didn't, we didn't, we only tried to follow this as best we could. And we're, we weren't perfect, and we're not, and we made some mistakes, and not everything was done as, as well as it could have been. But this was the guiding principle through it all, and a lot of prayer, and a lot of work, and a lot of effort. And you know what? Thank God. Like I said, we're not, we're not done. We're not out of the woods yet. <laughs> but I am so thankful that I chose to make my decisions on this rather than what the culture and what was trendy and what was happening around us because those, those opinions have changed and they, they, they come in and out of season, in and out of fashion, and God's Word is wise and it's good and it's right. And so I would encourage you, even women tonight, I know that some of this may sound a little old-fashioned, may even sound chauvinistic in some way. And certainly in some circles that would be viewed that way. It's not intended to be that way. I'm, sim- I'm simply saying, look, God's got a plan. God's, God knows what He's doing. God put it all. God's the one that made us and gave us roles and gave us. And when we walk in that, oh, there is a blessing. Oh, there is a fulfillment. You know, all these things that, that, that some of the women's liberation ideas and the things that they're reaching for and striving for. God's provided so much more and better and all of that that you want. God's not looking to diminish women. God's looking to give women a very special place. And as you walk in that place, you, fu- you are fulfilled, you are blessed, and you, you bless others around you. Your homes are blessed, your children are blessed, your workplace can be blessed, your, hut, your marriage can be blessed. God's looking to bless, not, not take away. So this is, um, this is one of those places when we find ourselves in Scripture not really fitting real well in today's culture. But for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to choose to do it this way, and that's what we're here to teach. That's my role as a pastor is to give you God's Word. And we have to find a way to live by this even in the midst of a dark generation and stand out as lights. And, and trust me, there'll come a time when, you know, like I said, what was kind of frowned on, now all of a sudden, hmm, seems like God doing it God's way was the right way. You'll find that in, in the life of women as well. Women, you'll find other women who may think that, you know, that's old-fashioned. You know what, over time, when they see the joy, when they see the fulfillment, when they see the, the marriage that lasts, when they see the relationships that are in place, all of a sudden, what, tell me a little bit about this, this God and this Word. That's the way you can impact. It doesn't, doesn't always fit. It's not always popular. But over time, God's wisdom is best, and He blesses. Amen? Amen. All right, let me close this in prayer. Father, we thank You for Your Word again so practical, so to the point. And Lord, tonight we we looked at this beautiful plan that you have for women. 
and, and their role and those priorities that you would set for them. And God, I pray um, that you would help the, the women in our church to become spiritual leaders, Lord, in their homes, spiritual leaders to, to some of the younger women. God, I, you've given us such a, a big youth group, Lord. And I can't help but think some of those young women need mentoring. Some of those young women need role models. Lord, I pray that the older and mature Christians in our midst would step up and be that for the young women in our church, Lord, that, that we would choose to do it your way and that your roles for us as men and women, God, would, would be our choice. And Father, there's so much that you say both to men and to women, and it's never to be to create inequality, but rather to create peace and harmony and something beautiful. And that's what we desire, Lord. And so I pray that you will continue to teach us through your word, Lord, very practical things for our life and our, in, our, in a time and a culture where things are so confusing. We're thankful to have this, this solid ground. We're thankful to have this rock, this foundation, this anchor to, to build our life on and around. pray that you will continue, Lord, to teach us and help us to walk and obey these things. In Jesus' name, amen.